Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. We're just going to move on to bonds, and we do that with Mark Cabana. He is one of our favorites here at Bloomberg Surveillance, head of U.S. rate strategy at Bank of America. And the hallmark here is he writes with clarity and avoids BS. And so you lead your note with one of the all-time jargon words of the moment, resilience. Everybody out there, the Boston Red Sox are showing resilience. What a bunch of baloney. Translate your use of resilience to the real world of fixed income. Well, I think it's a generous characterization of the Red Sox right now. Um, But uh, what we mean by this is that the economy has really shown that it has been relatively insensitive to higher interest rates so far. We all thought that we would see uh, the unemployment rate tick higher. We thought we would see fixed investment drop by more. We thought we would see financial conditions tighten more substantially as a result of all of the rate hikes that have been delivered so far and that are expected either in the future or uh, that are expected to remain elevated for a while. And what we have seen is that the economy is really held in. And that has challenged at least some perceptions at B of A about how much we would expect to see the economy turn. Um, Our economists just last week changed their base case from a recession to a soft landing. Now, that's a maybe minor distinction, but nonetheless, it implies less of upward pressure in the unemployment rate. It implies an economy that can continue to grow for longer. And it implies that the Fed is going to probably have to adjust accordingly. And the way that we think that that adjustment takes place is not necessarily through a higher overall terminal rate, but for a Fed that does indeed remain higher for longer and by cutting slower than the market anticipates. Certainly higher for longer can mean that you hold the terminal rate for an extended period of time, or it can mean that you maybe cut once a quarter, which is now our economist base case, as opposed to the almost every meeting rate cut that the market is anticipating once it gets started. So would you push back against the people one after another who've come on this show and said, we're buying long-term bonds because we think it's great to lock in 4% yields. It's going down to three and a quarter or three and a half percent on the 10-year. So we're still reasonably uh, constructive on duration. We do recommend that clients trade the back end of the rates curve with a tactical long bias. You got to respect the range, which looks and tends to be around 375 to 425 now. And we, we, we think that because we just believe that long end rates look somewhat asymmetrically skewed to the downside. It's a lot more difficult for us to envision tens at five than it is tens at three. Um, and with a Fed that's cutting slower, you're not going to maybe see as significant of a bond market rally. You're not going to see as rapid of a yield decline, but we still think that yields will be moving lower in time as the Fed does indeed move to cuts, but just cutting slower perhaps than the market anticipates. I want to just 
ask about the consequences of holding rates at this level for a longer period of time. Are people adequately understanding how restrictive that becomes as growth slows and as companies have to start refinancing? Yeah, it's a great question. I heard your comment earlier about credit and Torsten Slock and what he is saying about underlying fundamentals there. Um, look, we do think that the credit markets are going to be okay if the Fed ultimately delivers on what's uh, priced for cuts in the forwards, um, because as you have a lot of maturities that come due, the Fed will be lowering rates, and that's going to soften the blow to some extent. The challenge will be if the Fed does indeed remain higher for longer. And if you start to see some of those refinancings occur at higher rates and see companies begin to adjust how they're going to manage that mm -hmm. cost uh, factor into their own calculus. Um, but it's a part of what I think the Fed is looking for. They need to slow the economy somewhat, and they need to ensure that inflation does indeed remain uh, you know, around two. In our economists' new profile for growth, they do think that inflation just falls slower, understandably, right? You're going to be averaging uh, you know, 2.8% next year, almost uh, you know, two to two and a half percent in 2025. And the Fed's going to have to move rates slower, allow for more restrictive right. monetary policy over time in order to ensure that that sticks. We're tight on time, but the question's too important. Can price give way as yield moves higher? If I look at the Bloomberg total return index, I got a pennant formation. I'm really on support right now. Can price break through that price down yield up? Well, what we think you need to see is that you need to see some type of economic driver for that. We know that supply demand in the Treasury market is really quite daunting right now. You had a surprise uh, from the U.S. Treasury uh, on supply last week. The number one question that we get right now is who's going to buy the bonds? And so what you really need to see is that you need to see the economy provide cover for investors to justify that long duration bias that we've been recommending that they appear to be holding, especially on the real money side. Um, and... Uh, Thus far, you haven't really had it yet. CPI tomorrow should hopefully move us in that direction, but you really need to see signs of a broader economic moderation. And right now, the growth data is not providing that because the economy continues to reaccelerate. CPI tomorrow morning. Mark, this was good. As thank always, you. Mark Cabana, thank you, sir, of Bank of America. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Right now, Kathleen Bustjancic joins us. 
chief economist at Nationwide Mutual. Kathy, am I right that the public here doesn't really care about all this microdata analysis? They're looking at the one-year, the two-year, the three-year pandemic inflation, and it's killing them. Well, good, good morning, Tom. Happy to be with you, Lisa and, and Mike, this morning. Um, I, I think that weighs on the Federal Reserve, not just weighs on consumers, but it is something in the back of uh, all the Fed officials' um, you know, mind when they think about inflation. Yes, they're looking at the most recent print, and they're doing the three-month annualized, six-month annualized, but they know that this inflation is really a tax on consumers, especially lower income and, and middle income households. So, you know, Chairman Powell wants to make sure that, you know, when he looks back and his legacy is assessed, um, he's not seen as leaving with high inflation. He missed, right? The Fed thought it would be transitory. You don't really want to leave uh, and move on and, and still have high inflation, you know, as you end your tenure there. Kathy, are you in the camp uh, who believes that this CPI report will be really important in order to determine whether the Fed hikes or uh, stays put? Or are you in the camp that probably it will not give us a whole lot of information? It might even be a head fake for reinflation that we see later this year. Yeah, so timing is always difficult. Um, I think for now we are in a disinflationary trend. And I, I do think tomorrow's report and, and the subsequent report after that uh, will be important as, as the Fed convenes in September to decide whether you know to keep you know raise rates again or or to be on hold. Um, but you're right when you look out. The problem is there's quite a long lag. So when you look at home prices, um, they they lead the rental inflation by about a year and a half in our modeling. <clears throat> so yes, eventually mm -hmm. it could start to turn back up, but it's a long time before that. Um, but yeah, we we are concerned about that. Um, you know, what I'm also concerned about is the fact you were talking about this earlier uh, with GDP growth. We seem to be accelerating, right? We 2% Q1, 2.4 Q2, and now, you know, at least 3%. We're not quite at the 4% the Atlanta Fed, is, as Mike rightly said. That's kind of a snapshot of current data. Um, but, but the economy accelerating or not certainly not slowing below potential what the Fed wants, I think it's tougher to bring down inflation. We, from an economic perspective, we were talking about wage inflation with respect particularly to the union uh, organization and what we saw with UPS and some of the wages. John wants to get a $170,000 job uh, driving a truck, as he informed us this morning. Does that factor into your estimates of wage inflation, of the dynamic of how much you could get an acceleration in the economy as wages continue to increase. Is that something that you're looking more closely at as you do hear more of these uh, organized labor discussions? Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. You know, I'm, I'm concerned that not that wage growth um, is you know, the, the strong wage growth is causing inflation, but that it's a barrier to lower inflation. Now, certainly it, it's great for you know workers to get their share of the income pie, uh, but it comes at a time where we, we have these inflation pressures. Uh, and it, it, again, it's just a barrier to lowering it. So I think it makes it more difficult, keeps the Fed more in a hawkish tone or mood and, and may even lead right. them to raise rates further. Kathy, uh, well, away from rent and housing, that's what we talked to, particularly in New York, we're really focused on it 24-7. What's food inflation doing? What's auto inflation doing? Yeah, so food inflation has come down quite nicely um, since the peak, especially right after the Ukraine, the outbreak of the Ukraine-Russia uh, war. Um, and that's encouraging. 
Now, there's still concerns, right, if, if there's a, some kind of blockade and, and what happens with wheat prices. Um, and, and, and just in general, there's still, I think, a fragility and, and, and uncertainty about you know, if there can be disruptions. But in general, food inflation, we should be key, as, as Mike said earlier, inflation slowing, but we're not seeing outright declines. Now, the auto sector <clears throat> is different. We are seeing used car prices um, outright decline, and that's welcome news um, for, for consumers and also for inflation measures. But, you know, how, how far that goes is key. You know, we may see some outright declines, but we're still seeing a supply-demand imbalance in the auto sector, meaning auto companies, uh, when they do produce and supply comes online, we're seeing demand mm-hmm. exactly match that. So I, I think there's still upward pressure, again, resistance in, in the auto sector, right. especially for new autos. Uh, remind us as we end this, Kathleen Bustjansic, the inflation series that matters to Chairman Powell. Which is it? So it, it is core inflation, and I would say it's super core inflation. Um, so that's core inflation core. less the rent. Um, and, and the reason being that rental inflation, even when we model that, should come down very sharp. We think it goes from 8% at the peak to about 5% by, by year end. But that is baked in. They want to see what's happening to service prices elsewhere, um, <clears throat> you know, outside of rental inflation. Kath- great brief. Kathy Bastianthik, thank you so much. Victoria Fernandez is with us around the table, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Victoria, good morning. Good morning. Not going to ask for your Uber rating this morning. <laughs> going to talk about your price target on the S&P 500. It's amazing for me that we've seen this data come out of China. And typically years ago, what we would have seen on a morning like this morning, through this week, it's just an aggressive rally in the bond market. Yields much lower. We'd be talking about China exporting deflation to the rest of the world. What's changed? Well, I think we have to look under the hood a little bit on this China data. Yes, the headline numbers are down and we're seeing um, deflation there or disinflation. But the core number is actually the highest it's been since January. It's the food prices in China that brought down that headline number. You had pork prices up 26 percent in June of last year. They're flat this month. So we have to look a little bit more and see what is driving it. Typically, you would see a response, but I think because that underlying core inflation, which is the concern here in the U.S., what is that core inflation going to look like? Is that going to remain sticky, especially with wages? That's going to be the concern. I'm so happy you're here. Crossmark has such a pulse on what people emotionally are doing with their money right now. Institutional, high, uh, high, high net worth, and the whole thing. What's the fear level out there, meeting to meeting at Crossmark? Yeah, it's gone up definitely over the last quarter. Each meeting that we have, people are concerned because we've been telling our clients, we think there's going to be some choppiness here. We think we're going to see a pullback in the fourth quarter of this year, so we need to be prepared for that. So they're getting a little concerned. What we've seen as of late, though, is more people wanting to go into the bond market. They see these yields. They think that we're probably at peak or close to peak in bond yields. You know, we were, what, four and a quarter in October of last year. We think that's the peak for the cycle. So if those yields start to come down, they want to add some duration in their fixed income market. So we're seeing that there. But they like the fact that we're being cautious a little bit in the equity market. We're invested. We're in there. We're getting them a good return, but we're being a little bit cautious as to where we invest. So I just want to go through the uh, chronology of this year. It was, I believe, a soft landing, then a no landing. Then it was a hard landing in March. John, you've been very good about documenting the different (laughs) shifts. You're tracking it. Now we're in soft landing. Do you buy it? 
are you basically leaning in that there is this idea just to you divine a soft landing that we could get back down to near 2% inflation without unemployment rates really rising all that much? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to be able to have whatever the magic is, the sparkle dust that's going to make that happen for us. I mean, we assume that the Fed people were close to peak Fed funds rate. Are we there? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Fed go another 25 or 50 basis points. When you look at some of the inflation numbers, you look at average hourly earnings over the last three months, it's up about 5% on an annual basis. If you look at just the goods producing sector over the same time frame, up 7%. We've got the UAW, their contract ending in September. We could have wages go even higher then. So I think there's some underlying pressure um, on inflation that's going to continue to be there. And you have an economy that is doing pretty well because the consumer is there because the labor market is strong. So at some point, we're going to have to pay the piper for everything that we've seen up until now. I think we could start to have a consolidation around a 4,200, a 4,300 on the S&P, take us back another 5% to us. That's your opportunity to get into the market. Are you staying away from companies where there is strong labor negotiations or a potential risk there for either shutdowns or a significant increase in some of their compensation costs? Yeah, I wouldn't say we're staying away. We're not pulling out of those names completely, but we could be a little underweight in those names. And if we start to see more Mm. pressure ramp up, especially with the the auto um, makers, then yes, we could come out of those names to avoid some, um, you know, some choppiness. John, I think this is insane. We are down 6% Standard & Poor's 500 from the peak of late 2021. We are down 1.5% from the recent peak of days, weeks, months ago. I think it's literally August financial media hysteria going on. <laughs> and I don't mean just TV and radio. I mean print and the whole thing. we got nothing better to do, so let's talk about SPX down five days in a row or whatever. Yeah, I don't think anyone's suggesting this is a bear market. Some were down like 15, I think the tone is out right there. A lot of, oh, OMG, it's you a think, bear market. You think this is really negative? It's a correction. You think the coverage of the last week is that negative? I haven't found that. I don't think at Bloomberg. I think we're just reporting the statistics. I mean, Critty Goop is always very negative. But, but you're, you're blaming <laughs> other media organizations. No, I'm just saying there's a hysteria out there among our listeners and viewers over OMG, we're not going up 2% a week. You are seeing some capitulation along that line. How can you capitulate at a negative 1.44%? Because people have been so positive, and I don't think anything has been priced into this market. bull market off of October. That's exactly right. Let's compare multiples now compared to the start of the year. Just how much multiple growth has there been? Well, the gains that we've seen... And earnings are all PE expansions, right? It's not the earnings itself that are really driving it. And we're actually in, what, the third month of an earnings recession going on here. So I think we have to be very cautious. It's one of the things you look at. Valuations are too high, especially for the level of inflation that we're at. So it's, we're going to have to see something give. And I think it's probably going to be PEs. Well, the question we've got to ask is, where does the earnings acceleration come from? It's the next year. Where's that coming from? Who's driving that? Yeah, I don't know. I, we're not seeing it, really and truly. Is it going to be more hope? Is that what's going to get us there? To me, that's pretty shaky ground, if that's what you're betting on. So what's your top kind of shift heading into the last couple of months of the year? Well, we've always been cautious this year, and we've talked about that story. But adding some cyclicality to your portfolio, along with some of your more uh, value-focused names, I think is really smart to have that balanced approach. And so I think you need to do that. Have some cyclical names. Look at the finance names. Banks have taken a hit, obviously, just because of the headlines over the last few days, the downgrades coming out of um, 
Moody's and then Italy as well. But financial services should do mm -hmm. quite well. A Visa, a MasterCard, maybe an Ameriprise, names we own just for full <laughs> disclosure. Um, but I think you can find pockets. The um, correlation between stocks is very low right now. That yeah. tells us it's a stock picker's market. I don't care. What I want to know, <laughs> the reason we had you up here, thank you so much for coming in. Can you explain Astros Rangers rivalry? I think for North, you know, people like us, yeah, it's like a, it's like literally a foreign country. Is it a big deal, Astros Rangers baseball? It's a big deal, but I'd say it's not as big a deal now as it used to be. But look, Houston Dallas, there's a rivalry yeah. on everything there. So even though we're in the same state, we are worlds John, apart. John, road trip, Labor Day weekend, September fifth. Yeah, Astros Rangers, in, and I think it's near Dallas. Which is the team that cheats? Up in Arlington. Oh, listen to you. Oh. Whoa. That would have I, know been, that would. I think it's time for me to go on that one. No. <laughs> it's Number, the ones that won the World Series twice. Right? Yeah, that right. That's that the team that cheats. Okay. Victoria, thank you. It's thank good you. to see you. Thank you for I knew that. Brief. Victoria Fernandez across Smart Global Investments. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is too important. It's a two-hour conversation with Michael Nathanson, senior research analyst, Moffat Nathanson, expert on Disney. Michael, I'm going to go back a few years to the summer of 2003, where you were a young buck analyst, and you were forced to watch Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, Bringing Down the House, and Freaky Friday, all back-to-back. -back. Disney was riding high. It was a double-digit layup. And it's been the mother of all disappointments. What does Iger do today and in the next 90 days to right the ship? Tom, he has a long checklist of things he has to fix, right? He has to, um, your content, your content pipeline that you, you spoke of, it's broken. It will not be 90 days and better. It has to work on trying to figure out why have they misfired so much on the film side. Uh, maybe changing some leadership there. He has to work on getting ESPN some new partners, as you talked about, maybe finding a partner to invest in ESPN and potentially getting that off his books. 
he needs to then figure out what to do with his cable network. Maybe he needs to um, sell those as well. And he has to work with Comcast to buy in the Hulu 33% stake that uh, is coming to him next year. And he has to worry about DeSantis in Florida. His checklist is enormous, right? So he has a very busy 90 days ahead of him and probably in the next two years to fix what he has to fix. Might be easier to frame the question the following way. What isn't for sale, Michael? Right. What isn't for sale, John, is the parks, right? Like, I think what's happening here is that the parks are taking over leadership of this company. And as long as the U.S. economy does not weaken materially, the park story should hold pretty well. And our thinking is that this company is in transition from what what Tom described as an IP-led company to a parks-led company, right, with streaming attached to it. So I think we're in the beginning of a real transition of, of Disney's assets and into a, a more targeted company. Michael, I ask how long is this going to take because there's a leadership question embedded in that. How long will this take? It'll take the next two years. And uh, that's why he's been re-extended, right? It's, they need to make some very tough decisions, which he, he's hinted about. Um, our point is, like, look, we've been negative about Linear Network since we started talking to him. It, you know, the weakness is apparent. It's here. He wants to get the businesses off his books. Uh, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be very accretive to, to do that. But he needs to, to get those off his books. He needs to change leadership in, you know, in, in the content side to fix streaming. Um, it's going to take time. It really is. When you talk about some of the units for sale, I wonder how the deal that was announced yesterday with ESPN and Penn Entertainment factors into that. This idea that ESPN is going to be going into sports betting, which isn't completely congruent with the sort of family friendly image that the rest of the parks kind of cater to. Do you think that this is sort of a, a predecessor to a spinoff? I think it is. I, I think they decided the past two years that the U.S. perception on gambling uh, had changed and their perception had changed. You know, this is a deal where you know ESPN gets a billion and a half dollars and some some warrants. Uh, but I do think it's a predecessor to finding new partnerships and trying to reposition ESPN uh, off of their books uh, in in partnerships with other companies, right? So uh, you know the ESPN's troubles to me are not easily fixed. But perhaps you can find some ancillary businesses like gambling, maybe e-commerce. Um, you, know, you have to build a new streaming business for them. So I think you'll see ESPN, you know, spinning off of, Di- you know, being spun off of Disney, uh, maybe even taken private the next couple of years. So that could be done off stage somewhere. When it comes to fixing the content issues on the streaming side, how much of the focus is going to be on artificial intelligence, creating content that is less dependent on some of the talent, the writers, the actors, et cetera, versus just streamlining everything and having a more targeted package and then selling off the rest? Lisa, that's a a really good question. Um, I think in the near term, it's about streamlining. I think they would say, and he said this, that they've just made too much content. They've been stretched too thin at Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar has, has its own issues. But I think in the near term, it's trying to figure out the optimal set of, of content choices, trying to look at the leadership of some of these verticals. Longer term, the AI question is hanging over this entire industry. Um, it, it's, a, it's a potential risk, right? If, if all of a sudden the barriers to entry have dropped so much that you know, your right. kids could start making Disney movies. Michael, I got eight ways to go here. Eight ways to go here. We could do a two-hour conversation on this. We're thrilled you're with us. The bottom, I'm going to go financial. 
I got 60% plus debt at Paramount, 60% plus debt at Warner Brothers Discovery Disaster. I've got 30 plus <laughs> debt at Fox, whatever. And Disney's debt less encumbered at 21% on the balance sheet. Is debt Iger's salvation to merge for scale? It's a good question. Um, I think I think his salvation is getting his cash flow. So, you know, it's Tom. They used to generate $10 billion of cash flow a few years ago. Um, now they generate about $4 billion of cash flow. I, don't, I, I think his opportunity is really to focus you on the park business and fix and streaming. I, you know, kids, and to your point, because he owns parks, his balance sheet is not the same risk of the other companies you mentioned, right? That Those balance sheets are going to be the story of the next couple of years. I think Disney can work their way out of it by focusing on parks and fixing profitability on streaming. So to your point, you know, he has flexibility here. And I do think the story is, if you look at the value of, of resort assets, where they move to, Disney stock is cheap if you think about it as a different type of company led by resorts and hotels and parks. That's what I think Bob's looking at the next couple of years. Michael, I've got to squeeze this in. You're in the perfect seat to ask yep. this question. It's in November 2022. Everyone hates Facebook, Meta, and Mark Zuckerberg. Yep. It's now in the summer of 2023. Everyone loves Facebook, Meta, and still hates Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> is there something that the Walt Disney Company can announce in the same way that Zuckerberg did in early November to talk about the year of efficiency to turn this name around more quickly? Yes. And John, you remember I was on air with you guys defending Facebook and Meta the whole time, right? Yeah. Well, you've got 30 and seconds to tell me now. Yes, because the reality is their streaming businesses lose too much money. Netflix is worth $200 billion. Disney streaming businesses are worth $10 billion, right? The focus is fixing profitability of streaming. You know, let parks continue, but fix streaming profitability. Get those linear networks off your books, and people look at this and say, wow, this stock is really cheap. So we have a buy on Disney. I think next 12 months, we come back 12 months from now, stock's higher from here because of what you said. Michael, thank you, sir. It's what you said, not what I said. Michael, thank you. Michael Nathanson of SVB Moffitt Nathanson. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.